0: Okay, welcome aboard everyone to Sing Second Sports. I am John Schofield, your host. Joining me is my co-host Ward Carroll. Also joining us this week to preview uh, the next football game in the evolution of this Naval Academy football team uh, Saturday at Tulane, a very good Tulane team, uh, is Bill Wagner. So without any of the long preamble, for which I am very well known, uh, let's jump right into it. Wags, you, add, um, you know a bunch of great articles this week talking about how Navy has to turn the page Talking about how they you know are now hitting, talking about now an open quarterback uh competition, so from your perspective, all of these articles you wrote, break it all down really quick. you know what do you think is the main determinant of success this coming Saturday, and who do you think is going to be lined up under center
1: Well, first and foremost, uh, we have to ask is i don 't know how many padded practices they had, I know they didn't practice. Tuesday, the day after the game. Maybe they got back Wednesday, but I'm going to guess that that was a conditioning day because normally if they play Saturday, Monday's a conditioning day. So I'm going to guess that they didn't start hitting again until, well, probably Wednesday. I think they went live Wednesday, Thursday. Anyway, the bottom line is we don't know how many total padded practices they've had since BYU. And the question is, Usually you have an entire month of training camp to get your guys pad ready, as they say. And is eight practices enough? So um, that's the big question I have. Are they going to look different in terms of physicality and football? The second question, obviously, is the quarterback is in doubt. I mean, if you'd asked me the day after the game who was going to start quarterback for Navy against Tulane, I would have said Perry Olson. And he's not even in the program anymore. He's transferring. So um, I don't know what they think of Dalen. I don't know if he gets a do-over, gets another shot. Um, We found as we flipped the depth chart open uh, this week that a freshman named Xavier Arline is number two on the depth chart uh, at quarterback. Um, Just for some background, Xavier Arline is one of the best lacrosse players in the country in his class. He was rated the number five lacrosse recruit in the class of 2020 by inside lacrosse. He originally committed to North Carolina for lacrosse. However, he had told all the schools that recruited him for lacrosse that he wanted an opportunity to play football. Initially, North Carolina was going to give him that opportunity. However, they had a coaching change. Mack Brown took over as head coach of North Carolina football, and he told Xavier Arline we're not interested in having you play football here. So he opened his recruitment back up with the you know, provision that I want to play two sports. And he got some interest from Utah. I think he got interest from Virginia. Virginia was offering him a walk-on spot as a wide receiver. The only schools that were going to allow Xavier Arline to play quarterback were the service academies, Army and Navy. So – he ends up at Navy because it's an opportunity to play both football and lacrosse. However, as we know, the plebes were not even with the football team for half of training camp. They did not even join the football team until mid to late August. And when they joined the team, they had to go through a period of non padded practices. Cause that's NCAA protocol. So the bottom line is Xavier Arline's been practicing with Navy for like two and a half weeks, three weeks. So uh who knows um he's supposedly a tremendous athlete um that's what we do know about the kid we shall see come saturday who lines up under center i guess i would also mention masai Maynard. he's a sophomore that they do like and uh, i i would say he's probably in the mix um but yeah it'll be interesting to see who they trot out there on saturday
0: johnny so ward you know, what do you think from you know just the football game level? Uh, what do you think you're going to see on Saturday in terms of a response? You know, like yeah, you know, this is the traditional time right after you've got the doors blown off of you at home, embarrassed on national TV. That you hear about the coaches in the dressing room, you know, giving them the hairdryer treatment, just tearing them down, and they come out all all uh, motivated for the next game. Do you think we see that immediate bounce back, or is this possibly still a work in progress? And how do you feel about a Tulane team that actually came back from an amazing deficit last Saturday and beat a pretty good uh, South Alabama football team?
2: Well, I would have answered as you framed it, that they would be solidifying the program. Uh, in the wake of getting their doors blown off, if Olsen had fleeted up to the starting position. Um, That was kind of what, as I intimated during the post-game analysis we did a couple of episodes ago, that there were glimmers of the traditional, you know, Ivan, Coach, Niamatololo, triple option at the beginning of the second half you know some of the cadence was there some of the misdirections it looked like he was making some of the right calls his footwork was more sound than what morris's had been but now that we've introduced i mean it's dizzying the way that wags just sort of uh you know teed it up um so i i don't know i, I this is very much going to be a we'll see when it happens but if we thought that we were going to learn from the mistakes of the BYU game and from that foundation go forward, I think all of those givens have been erased um, in the face of like four more variables. So, and that's just the offensive side of the ball. Right. Um, And, and um, maybe um, the the defense uh, will have flagged what the issues are and they'll get back to the great, uh, you know, swarm to the ball and the aggressive linebacker defense that we saw last year, which was a radical change in terms of how Navy defenses traditionally have worked and successful. Um, so I, I don't know. And and they're, it, it, like you've said, it, it looks like Tulane is sort of ascendant while Navy still sort of has a bunch of question marks over the the program going into this game. So Um, I don't know what what that's going to yield in in terms of an outcome, Um, but I'm not as sanguine as I was based on the the sort of what we thought would be the corrective actions after the BYU game in the face of WAGS's reporting.
0: Yeah, I hear you on that. And um, the, the issue number one is first road trip, right? Okay, so... What happened with BYU? We can understand it as a one-off, and now you've got an extra week. Uh, the you know the game you know that was supposed to be this past weekend was canceled, so now they have an extra week to prepare. But that's an extra week to think about losing fifty-five to three. Perhaps it's also an extra week to digest that Perry Olson left the program. It's also a week to kind of grasp what it's going to be like to travel and the fear that might exist with these young men uh, when it comes to travel. So you know, now you get down there and you've got a Tulane team that by all accounts didn't look very good uh, in terms of preseason prognostication, new quarterback, um, just losing, you know, looking terrible, losing 24 to six uh, in the third quarter to South Alabama. And then they came back and, and kind of miraculously won 27-24. So, Wags, what do you think is going to be the most uh, – you know, what, what's going to be the thing that makes the, the coaches' heads hurt the most on Saturday on each side of the ball for Tulane? Who's going to hurt us on Saturday?
1: Well, uh, Tulane has a, guy, a really nice rushing game. Um, Willie Spear – I mean, uh, Willie Fritz, the uh, head coach, is, he comes from a background of the – what they call the zone option. So he knows about option football, but he employs a different type of option. It's called the zone option, and it's it so-called because they use zone blocking. Um, he's not doing that quite as much because he's got an offensive coordinator he brought in from Memphis, who's now in his second year, and he's brought a little bit of the Memphis offense with him, but they still do some of the zone blocking elements, and they, they ran the ball effectively in that South Alabama game. They got a tailback, a nice tailback named Ty J Spears. He rushed for uh, over 100 yards in the uh, season opener. They've got a really bruising um, goal line back, a guy, Cam Carroll. He's like 225 pounds. Uh, they give it to him on the goal line. He scored a couple touchdowns in the opener.
0: Uh, he had uh, he actually had ten carries uh, in that last game. So yeah, I mean they've got to look out for him on the uh, on the goal line. But it looks like he got some extra carries after that. So they they had one, two, three, four, five people uh, you know in their running back core get at least four carries. Yeah, uh, yeah. you know. Got and, Al- and another guy that you'll see out yeah. there on Saturday.
1: Um, yeah, they 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 got a nice rushing game, and that's what they like to. You know, run the ball and then play auction pass, kind of similar to what BYU did against Navy. So they're going to have to stop the run first and foremost. On the other side of the ball, they have a pair of very good defensive ends, NFL prospects. Um, I wrote about them in my preview. But uh, that, that that if you're running the option, you've got to be able to read the defensive ends. And they got two very, very good ones, guys that are considered NFL caliber Um, I think Cam Sample's one of them, and I think the other guy's name is Johnson. I don't have their depth chart up here right now. But, um, you know, it's going to be a tough game. And, uh, you know, obviously you're on the road, and, you know, it'll be interesting. Navy has put all sorts of safety protocols in. I talked at length to Brian Blick, the director of football operations today, and he talked about all of what they're doing from the minute they leave the Naval Academy on a bus to the minute you know the airport uh, protocol hotel protocol they 're really putting a lot of time and effort to making sure they stay safe while they travel because that 's the concern that when you leave the bubble of the naval academy and you 're out there traveling and you 're at you know airports and in planes and on buses and and at hotels that 's when there's a concern. So uh, they're going to try to be very, very careful and make sure nothing happens. But, uh, you know, going on the road in this environment might be a bit stressful. I think you mentioned that in the uh, open. So we haven't heard about any COVID spikes or any COVID
2: cases in the wake of BYU.
1: Ken Niamatololo told us that they came out with all negative tests. Another thing that Ken Niamatololo told us this week, well, he mentioned it when he talked about going – why he's go, uh, going to a physical contact in practice. They're now up to three tests per week. I think they were doing two. Now they're doing three, one of which is the antigen test. So they have two full on coronavirus tests, and then that antigen test is the third. And so he feels a lot more comfortable. But he said they came out of BYU with all negatives. No, Nobody tested positive. Um, they just, by the by, Chuck Gladchuck was at a uh, I guess it's the board of visitors that meets R- R- Ward. Who is? What is that group that meets periodically? And the superintendent has to go. Board through? of
0: visitors. Yeah it, meets, yeah, it meets quarterly.
1: Right. Well, the board of visitors met last week, and Chuck Gladchuck. Ooh, what did Sean Spicer say? <laughs> That's was what like, I was I'm sure See, I beat <laughs> you to exactly. it. I beat he you did. to it. Spicer. He right. <laughs> He's on the board of visitors. That is amazing. Well, no, uh, Chuck Gladchuck said they have had three total positive tests. One was a player. Who I think I know who it was because he didn't play in the opener. Um, one was a coach and one was a support staff member. Two of the people were um, asymptomatic. So that's not a bad record from j- July when the football players returned to campus to now three positive tests. That, that's not bad.
2: Yeah, it's pretty good by uh, your average Division one football team standard. Um, so, Wags. I mean, we're talking a lot about Olson. Um, can we remind the listeners about who else was entered the transfer portal from last spring till now? Because, you know, I, I think we've lost a sort of essay around just how many guys and at what positions, you know, because we're really focused on Olson, but we're leaving out the, the, where, where we got at the beginning of the season as a function of who we lost last spring when we entered the distance learning environment.
1: Yeah, Ward. well, first of all, the transfer portal is changing college football. It's making transferring easy. All you have to do is enter your name in the portal. It's, it's just not the way it used to be. It used to be a more difficult process to transfer. And Ken Niamatololo said that this it's changed the game, and you're going to see more people transfer. Like, As I think we've mentioned, we've never seen this many players from Navy transfer.
2: Well, I mean, what is the portal? Is it a website? Is it a social media? What, what is it?
1: It it, it is a nationwide portal window where, and all you have to do is contact your um, your athletic uh, person that handles you know uh, admissions, etc. Whoever that is in the athletic department, you tell them you want to transfer, and they have to enter your name into the portal immediately. And everyone in the nation can see who wants to transfer. It just the whole process makes it so much easier to transfer. You can decide today, I want to transfer, and your name's in the portal that night. But Perry Olson announced he was transferring at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and his name was in the portal by 645. So, um, but I'll go back to answer your question. I don't want to talk about everybody in the portal, because five of them were nobodies who were never going to play at Navy. The two yeah, okay, who matter, but who, who
2: are the – okay, that's who I care. Yeah. The two who matter.
1: Shell Garnes. Was a uh, would probably be starting at striker for Navy this season. Um, he transferred to Wake Forest. Jacob Springer, who did start at striker last season and played pretty doggone well, he transferred. He's at Old Miss. So the two guys that mattered were Chellen Garnes and Jacob Springer. Now, Michael McMorris, the starting cornerback, put his name in the transfer portal but pulled it out. And he's still here at the Naval Academy. Now, just by the by, Michael McMorris did not start the opener against BYU, And I'm sure that's because the coaching staff said, you're not getting your starting spot back after tooling around with transfer and, and jerking our chains. So now he did play the bulk of the game at cornerback. But Micah Ferrar started at cornerback. But, um, but the Olsen transfer, I mean, that, I agree with you, Ward. I think the guy would have earned the starting job back. But we don't know what happened. I mean, I, uh, I do know this. Ivan Jasper told us on on his presser this week that the, his problem with Perry Olson is that he would do one make one great play and follow it with two mistakes. And he said that a quarterback in Navy's offense just cannot be mistake prone. And so, you know, and it's not always obvious. I mean, he, he it's as simple as taking the ball from center and failing to fake to the fullback or, you know, you know, running the play to the wrong side of the field. I mean, whatever it is. But basically, Ivan said he would make one good play and follow it with two consecutive mistakes. And you cannot live with a quarterback and a triple option that is c- constantly making mistakes.
3: I mean, that's tough. Uh, that's tough criticism given the way the starter played. It was the first game. Uh, And and as we've all become students of the option over the last 25 years, uh, that did not look like Ken Niamantololo, Ivan Jasper uh, option football. So um, that may have been a little bit short-sighted on the part of IJ to be as critical uh, of a guy coming in in the second half to bail out a quarterback that played terrible in the first.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's a good point, Chris. And I think the other thing that comes to mind – that I'm thinking of with in, in light of John's question about what do I think's going to happen against Tulane, it, and I'm going to sound like CNO here. We're talking about reps and sets, right? To execute the triple option, you've got to have reps and sets. And so, again, we've now in on paper anyway, in theory, we've gone backwards in terms of that. If if the the starter could potentially be, um, you know, a plebe. Um, and and so, that's what I think is going. We're going to see for the next few games in, in terms of um, the the crisp execution that we're used to. Um, you know, you don't you don't get that uh, to Ivan Jasper's criticism of Olson. Uh, you're going to have that's how you get third and long, right? You, one good play followed by two bad, bad plays. That's called third and long. You know, punt team assemble. Um, and, and so I don't see how we're going to improve on what happening as BYU now that we're putting potentially, um, somebody else in the, uh, on over center who has fewer reps and sets than what Morris had going into, um, the, the opener.
3: I'll just say one, one last thing. I, I was so impressed last year with the candor that, uh, Kenny demonstrated by saying that he made a mistake by not sticking with Malcolm uh, the, the year before and by not giving him that time to grow into the position. I hope he remembers that feeling and I hope that whoever is the quarterback, he does decide to stick with them, let them grow into that position, get those reps and sets that you guys are talking about so that we can begin to build um you, you know that expertise that you need uh in any offense but particularly in the triple off op- uh triple option offense
2: well so to but let's let's go back wags um who was the quarterback um before malcolm who who- remi- i'm blanking on his name
1: zach Abey?
2: yeah zach Abey, right so i think what coach was hoping and ivan was that Zach Abey was going to be Willworth Jr., right? And it just never happened. So he had the fiscal size of Will. Um, there were glimmers of greatness, but like Ivan's saying, you can't execute the triple option, um, the Ivan Jasper triple option, by making a lot of mistakes, headwork errors, um, and and so forth. And and that's what um, Zach kept kept doing. Um, and so that's how you got Malcolm fleeted up, and then. Uh, once Malcolm Blossom, then, you know, Coach had the uh, sort of uh, the aha moment or he he, w- he cooed aside and said, hey, I should have gone with him all along. But I, I just think that they were wedded to the Will Worth model because it had been so successful and so Will got hurt. And you remember when Will got hurt um, in the – was that the 2016 season? Um, we lost out after that, right? It was the uh, the conference uh, uh, game, championship, it was Army-Navy, and it was the bowl game. We lost all three after that. Um, yep. And uh, so uh, I think that was a re- real big shock to the system, and Zach didn't blossom just like Olson didn't blossom. Um, so, uh, you know, again, that now uh, we were all – I know I was saying uh, before last year that it was going to be a – you know, transition year, and, and I had my doubts about Malcolm. You know, I, I, that's idiotic in hindsight. Um, but, you know, nobody had a lot of faith in him uh, going into the season.
1: You make a lot of good points, Ward, and, um, yes, Zach Avey was a lot like Will Worth in terms of running the ball. He was like a fullback running the ball, and people forget, the year he was the primary starter, he rushed for 1,300 yards. He had a pretty good season running the ball. His problem was he couldn't read the option. And as you mentioned, he made too many costly mistakes and that's how come he lost the starting job. Um, going back to this year and, you know, kind of talking about what Chris was saying, I kind of agree with Chris. I, I would not have, uh, I would have been trying to pep Perry Olson up and get him positive because I think he was the best option available. Um, you know, I, Xavier Arline may be an incredible athlete. Uh, from what I'm, I hear, he's got a little bit of Malcolm in him in terms of the shake and bake. He's, a, he's got some juke to him. I don't know that he's got the same straight-line speed as Malcolm. But the bottom line is, he's a plebe who's been here for a minute. And only one freshman has ever started a quarterback at Navy during the triple-option era, and his name was Keenan Reynolds. And even he did not start – Immediately he didn't he came into the Air Force game, which I believe was the fourth game of the season, maybe the fifth. but if you remember, Trey Miller was the starting quarterback at the beginning of the year. he wasn't any good, um, but they got to the Air Force game, and Trey Miller got hurt, and that's how Keenan Reynolds entered the picture, and he never gave up the starting job. But Keenan Reynolds was such an incredible student of the game, and I remember r- writing. Keenan Reynolds gave up his spring break of high school senior year to come attend Navy spring football practice so he could learn the triple option. He got a playbook back when he was in high school and studied it nonstop before he even arrived at the academy. So there, I guarantee you, Xavier Arline is not Keenan Reynolds. So, and the other thing I have to tell you about Xavier Arline is he's tiny. Uh, they list him at 5'9. 175 or something but i've seen pictures of the guy uh he's more like five-seven, one sixty-five. 165 i think you'll see if he ends up getting on the field saturday you'll see for yourself he would definitely be the smallest quarterback to ever play at navy during the triple option air if indeed he winds up playing well, I mean, to that
2: point, Wags, just so the audience who has never seen these guys in real life knows, neither Keenan Reynolds nor Malcolm Perry are big guys. Right?
1: I don't know if I'd say they're teeny, but they're not big guys. This kid's even smaller than Malcolm. I mean, Malcolm was 5'9, 190, they said he I think it was more like 185 tops, but you know, Malcolm also had elite speed and moves and it was hard to lay a good hit on him because of that. Um, I'm telling you, this kid's smaller than Malcolm.
0: Well, he's got an awesome name. Um, and, you know, if, if, if ever there's a requisite for being an awesome quarterback, it's to have that cool name like Xavier Arline. Um, I'm not saying it's like DeBrickashaw Ferguson or God Sham God or, or other like phenomenal sports names out there, but it's still pretty good. Um, Well, you either need that
2: kind of a name or you need like a white bread American name, like Colt McCoy. Right.
0: You know, it needs
2: to, it's either a really exotic name or it's just this straight steak eaten, you know, Texas football American. name, Yeah. Like
0: Jonathan Moxon, you know, like, like Burt Jones, (laughs) right. Just something that's white bread America. Oh, come on Mox. Um, well, so you talked, you know, in the beginning, Wags about Xavier Arline as a lacrosse player. Now, so if I am, you know, the the brand new coach of the uh, lacrosse team who didn't necessarily get a full season in, but you know, we talked to him earlier in this pod about you know the promising uh, people on the uh, on on the squad. Not only is football taking Xavier Arline, but you had a really good article out out there about Johnny Hodges, too. Like, what what was Johnny Hodges' uh, lacrosse game like? Not just to take a small respite before we uh, break down Tulane uh, finishing off, but I thought that was a really neat story.
1: Yeah, no, it was a neat story. I really enjoyed it. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of cool. The guy was recruited to Navy as a lacrosse player. He was on the lacrosse team last year. He played in the Furman game. Um, He was in the rotation as a short stick defensive midfielder. And he just – he missed football. The guy was a first team all-Metropolitan choice by the Washington Post. Uh, One of the best players on a Quince Orchard team that captured the Class 4A state championship. Um, Montgomery County football is pretty darn good. And this guy was one of the best players in Montgomery County. I mean, first team all-Met by the Washington Post. Pretty big deal.
0: Um, Yeah, like all those guys, like Damascus, Quince Orchard. Like you you hear of those players going to Alabama, going to Maryland – going to major programs, if he played football, at you know, at, at QO, then, then you're pretty darn good.
1: Absolutely. And, uh, you know, he, he's 230 pounds. He's a big boy. And, you know, the, he, he was at, in the stands, uh, with the brigade of midshipmen watching football last season and saying, I, I should be out there. And, you know, I mean, the kid just loves football. And so he, he decided to make the switch. And when pandemic hit and the cross season got canceled, he, got in the football coach's ear. He had his high school coach call Ashley Ingram, who was his area recruiter, and Navy knew who he was. He was on their radar. They went and looked at him, but they didn't want to interfere with lacrosse. The kid was committed to Navy for lacrosse, and football didn't want to step on lacrosse's toes. They kind of, you know, they got the kid first. So, but uh, he convinced the coaching staff to give him a chance, and lo and behold, he's number three on the depth chart. He, he played against BYU and made four tackles toward the
0: end, um, you're going to be hearing in the name of Johnny Hodges down the road. So with the uh, Johnny Hodges and the Xavier Arline um, notations here in this pod, you know, Wags, I have to ask you as the, as a resident historian, is this kind of a back to the future thing where we're looking at a lot of really good athletes, both locally and nationally, who want to play lacrosse, who want to play football as well, particularly with how many players the Navy football team usually carries in football do you think more players will try to follow in their footsteps the way that Pat Donnelly and you know Phil Henderson and and guys like in the days of yore when we were talking to Commander T, do you think that's coming back?
1: I don't think we're ever going to go back to those days. I mean, it was a whole other time and playing two sports was easy. And it happened in Navy all the time. Joe Bellino was the great baseball player. They would have guys that also played basketball in one other sport. So, I don't think we're returning to those days, but I don't think the day of the two-sport athlete is over. And they've had him at Navy over the years. Uh, You go back, uh, I remember Jamie Doffemeyer was an Arundel High School graduate, and he was of great safety at Navy in football. And his senior year, he played lacrosse and was pretty doggone good. Um, He had been a great high school lacrosse player. And I don't know if you remember this, but Ford Higgins was on the lacrosse team last spring. Um, and you know, he may have ended up playing as time went along because he was apparently a really, really good attackman in high school. The problem with doing a dual sport of football lacrosse is that football demands your presence at spring practice. And let's just say Xavier Arline becomes a starting quarterback. What chance is Niamatololo going to let him play lacrosse instead of attending Spring practice or play lacrosse, period, with the prospect of maybe getting injured in lacrosse and not being available. So that would be interesting because Xavier Arline left Carolina because they weren't going to let him play football. What if he came to Navy, ends up becoming a starting quarterback, and they don't let him play lacrosse? <laughs> um, and I know promises were made to this kid that he was going to be allowed to play both sports. Now, they didn't say right away, you know, he might have to wait till he's a junior to. Where he has the prerogative to play both. Um, Another guy should mention
0: Craig Candido,
1: starting quarterback for Navy football. He started in the outfield for the baseball team.
0: We'll transition now. Um, You know the the two the two big things as we go out. um, Other yeah yeah sports stories that are going on out there. And and there was one out there with uh, Coach Niamatololo and the uh, and the Commander in Chief's Trophy. I'll let Wags and Ward kind of break that down. And then finally. We're going to do our picks for the game. We can't go out of here without picks. I think all of us are 0-1. Uh, none of us picked it very well. So, uh, so yeah, first and foremost, Wags, a little bit of controversy out there uh, with regard to, to Kenny talking about the Commander-in-Chief's trophy. Was that a – I don't think the players see that as, as a distraction, but do you think that kind of took up some of Kenny's bandwidth as he was trying to prepare for Tulane?
1: No, that's a good question. I know it – Caused him some uh, distress, that's for sure. I mean, here's what happened. Uh, To set the stage, no one knew for sure if Air Force was going to play Army and Navy. When the Mountain West Conference canceled football in the fall and said they were going to try to play in the spring, and now just by the by, we're suddenly hearing there's a chance that the Mountain West might pull a Big Ten Conference and go back to playing in the fall. Um, But the bottom line is, is that we heard rumblings that Troy Calhoun the Air Force coach had no interest in playing Army and Navy in what in essence is an exhibition season because his real football season is happening in the spring. At least that's the way it was looking. So we also heard the Colorado Springs Gazette reported and I believe it is very accurate that Air Force sent 40 of their best football players home for the semester so they could do what is called a turnback At Air Force, if you have some sort of crisis emergency, and I think it's meant to be like you get mononucleosis or your mother dies, uh, but Troy Calhoun used pandemic to send 40 of his best football players home so they didn't use up a year of eligibility, and they can extend themselves and get a fifth year, the fall semester of what would, you know, after they should have graduated. So, and
0: that's the issue that I really want to get Ward's take on when you're done, Wags. So right. Ward, prepare yourself because I can already see your blood pressure rising. So yeah, right. yeah, go, finish that thought, Wags, please.
1: Okay, so so we've got Air Force uh, n- looking like if what we're told is true about 40 players getting turnbacks. They're not even enrolled at Air Force right now. They're taking the semester off. They're basically going to put a JV team on the field against Navy. So. Now, I don't know that Kenny Diamatololo knew that. His concern was how can Air Force sit around for a month practicing for us while we're playing other games and then we got to go play them. They're, they're fresh, they're, you know, nobody's injured, they're not banged up, and they've been practicing for a month for Navy. That's his concern. So the news broke on Monday that, yes, indeed, Air Force was going to play Navy. They finally actually announced a game time for that October third contest against Navy in Colorado Springs, so I wrote that article, and then we had Kenny on a Zoom presser Monday afternoon. And at the end of the presser, I just said, "Hey, so the news break today that in, indeed Navy is going to play Air Force. What do you think?" And he shocked me. He he went off. <laughs> he he said it was ridiculous. It was absurd. And the guys at the Pentagon are making these decisions. He kept talking about guys at the Pentagon. And well, I didn't even no one knew what he was talking about. I even texted Scott Strassmeyer afterwards. I was like, what, what's he mean by the Pentagon? And you know, I think Stras is like, maybe he knows something I don't know. Um, to be honest, I think he was trying to avoid criticizing the superintendent because Chuck Gladchuck, I called him after the teleconference and said, hey, you know, Kenny just, you know, got angry and blamed the Pentagon and What can you shed some light? And he said, Look, the decision was made jointly by the three superintendents of the academies Uh, Air Force, Army, and Navy superintendents basically decided that if all three teams are available and if all three teams are scheduled to play, then they're going to go ahead and play. And I don't really think Troy Calhoun, the Air Force coach, wants to play these games. And maybe that's where the Pentagon got involved. Maybe someone at the Pentagon. Told Air Force, you're playing the Commander in Chief's trophy. That made that's the only way of the Pentagon got involved is with relation to Air Force and telling them they had to do this. Um, But Kenny went nuts, and so Monday night comes around, and Kenny Niamatololo calls me up out of the blue at eight thirty, and he wants me to write an article because he wants to apologize. Um, He took some heat. The Pentagon comments did not go over well. And he took some heat from pretty high up, I'm told, and he was remorseful. And you know, as we know, Coach, he owned it. He admitted his mistake. And we had an article the very next morning saying that Diamatololo apologizes. He regrets bringing up the Pentagon. He should not have done so. Blah blah blah. So I'll pass it along to Ward to talk about Pentagon making football decisions. And, oh, Ward, this is a gigantic softball for you. I mean, it is enormous. <laughs> Coach
2: Matalolo is a human being, right? And 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 he's stoic, he's unflappable. He's the nicest guy on the planet, but there are pressures and there he's having to deal with all of these variables of this pandemic and all the on agains off agains. Now his, you know, presumptive starter quarterback is uh, in the transfer portal and so forth and so on. So I, I just think he's there, there will be times when, when he's, he's at his weakest when he could be given to the, this sort of, uh, you know, raw emotion, uh, where he'll just say something like he said to, to you, Wags. And, and so, um, I, I think good on him, as you've already said to kudos, I apologize unconditionally, categorically. And, now we're past it, right? I mean, that's it. Um, and whatever happens is going to happen. But as we've said with some other things, there's a big asterisk on the Commander-in-Chief's trophy this year. So regardless of who winds up in possession of it, um, you know, there, there's going to be an asterisk uh, for all the reasons that we talk about in detail each and every week here on the show. Now, break, break. The 40 guys doing this, whatever we call it, plowback year, or what's what it called? Wags.
0: turn back okay turn See, back you, you did a turn back year for dinghy sailing right ward i mean you're yeah, like hey listen yeah. i am not hitting right. the pt that i wanted i'm getting a turn back year like, turn in, back in all serious in all seriousness this is where the real argument is and for me it's always hey we only have four years to do our jobs here boys like there are no red shirt ears this is what makes the naval academy different and and it for me, I've always heard this about the Air Force Academy, that they have this type of loophole that is kind of bullshit. But I mean, God, does it burn. It boils my blood. So you're so case, you, like- uh, let's say you can redshirt
2: onesies and twosies, right? And, and now I want to hear the alums freak out over this as they freak out about one guy who's going to go play for the NFL, right? 40 guys on the dole now for an extra semester or so. You know, that that's I don't do the math. I mean, that's going to be tens of millions of dollars of taxpayers money, not to mention those are 40 bodies that aren't in missile silos or driving drones around or sitting in the cockpit of F-22s. You know, so um, you have got to be kidding me with that. I I, I, this this takes um, this this. What are we doing here? with service academies having big time football to another level altogether. Um, so it'll be interesting to see the hue and cry and what ultimately the Pentagon does about this, if anything. Yeah, where's,
0: where's Bruce Fleming, you know, writing about these turn back years? Well,
2: where's the yeah, Air Force on, version of Bruce Fleming? Come on! I mean, hopefully there's an Air Force Academy version of our good friend Bruce, um, who can lay waste to this fallacy here, to this 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 whole construct is just ridiculous.
0: Yeah. Hey, uh, real quick,
1: I'll provide some history. The last player at Navy who did this was a safety named Jeff DeLiz. He was a Oh, yeah, I remember him. Yeah, he was a team captain, and he got hurt early in his senior season, and Paul Johnson pulled the same stunt. He said, go home, take the semester off, and he came back and played the next fall after – he did not graduate with his class. And that's basically what Air Force is doing, NMOs with 40 people. If anybody deserves a turn back here at Navy, it was poor Tago Smith, the kid yep. who had to sit behind Keenan Reynolds for three years. And then his senior year, when it was supposed to be his season to be the starter, he gets injured in the season opener. If any kid deserves a turn back, it was Tago Smith, and he got denied.
2: That's how we got yep. Will Worth, right? Again, as we talk about the, the moving parts at quarterback over the last five years or so. Um, so that reminds me, Wags, that when I was a plebe, dot, 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 we had a Class of 78 guy as a firstie uh, with the Class of 79 who was there for first semester named Dave Walker, who, who was a, a turnback. You know, so that existed way back in the, in the dark ages when I, when I was a plebe as well.
0: I definitely think it is – in the end, as I wrap this, I definitely thought that Kenny was right to criticize this. I don't think he was right to criticize the Pentagon, you know, in terms of a broad brushstroke of criticism. Um, but yeah, I thought that the con- the conditions as they were at the time that he was characterizing, yeah, it was bullshit. And 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 I like the fact that he was sticking up for his players who were the most affected by you know the you know these decisions. Um, yeah, you know, so. Uh, that being what it is, let's let's pivot really quick. End it. Um, what I'd like to do is start with predictions. I'll start, um, you know, because it's all about me. I believe that the real key to the game lies with the Keon Howard factor. So Keon is the quarterback um, of Tulane, uh, transferred in. In the end, not a great performance last week. Not that South Alabama has a. University of Alabama type of defense he was 14 for 30 191 yards passing basically did not look very good and then they got a break and escaped at the end um, I think the key to the game is right there if Navy can control him um, can can basically stay away from cam sample and Patrick Johnson on, on the defensive end uh, if they can if they can do that I think they eke out a really close one uh, last year's was a Barnburner, we won forty-one to thirty-eight. This one, I believe, is much more low-scoring. I'm going to call it. I'm going to call it 1917-80. Uh Wags, right, wrong? You know what? What do you think? You're, you're better at this than I am.
1: Well, with the unknowns at quarterback, um, you know, if it's Dalen as the starter, he didn't look very good last week. I don't know, or in the opener, I don't know how he's going to suddenly turn it around and be something he has never been. If it's a freshman, that's all I need to say. It's a freshman. Um, so that gives me pause as far as the Navy offense. And then I am concerned that I don't think eight, nine padded practices, whatever it is, that does not make up for a month of training camp that was basically lost. And I don't know that Navy's going to be pad ready, going to be the physical Navy, the offensive line that we know comes off the ball and smacks you in the mouth. We didn't see that against BYU. I don't know that eight padded practices is enough to build up the physicality that they need so and it's on the road so all those factors I'm taking Tulane uh, let's say 28-20.
3: John uh, sadly I I think I'm gonna pick Tulane as well Um, I see Tulane winning uh, by 14 or more points I, I do think that Navy will use this opportunity to uh, better execute the the option. I see them while uh, while losing. I see them coming out of this game with some momentum, uh, and then being able to rattle off a few victories uh, with the lessons that they pick up from Tulane. But I I, I agree with Wags. I just don't think they're ready uh, to go down to Tulane uh, on the road and
0: uh, and get the W. All right, there you go. For the record, uh, Wags and Chris have Tulane, I have Navy and a barn burner, although low scoring, 19-17. So I I really thank you guys for joining us, uh, breaking it down for us. I I think this will be a very interesting game. It'll be another game without fans in the stands. I think it'll be interesting to hear the lessons learned uh, as the team and coaches do pressers next week about what travel was like, what New Orleans was like. so yeah, you know, I, I, we'll, we'll continue to bring you this um, you know, as we go forward, but a very interesting time, another very interesting game. And, and I, for one, don't know how it's gonna be like uh, to, to sit there and watch it um, on ABC National. Um, you know, I don't know if they've announced who's, who's doing the game for them, but it's a pretty big deal. So, um, you know, good for us for being on national TV and hopefully we can bring it home. Um, As we go out, I'll make one last plug. Another local piece of news this week was that Annapolis resident, longtime resident, uh, Jeanette Belichick, she is the mother of New England Patriots coach Bill Belichick, died um, at the age of 98. Uh, She lived here locally in Annapolis. Uh, Personally, from from my perspective, um, I know that she and my grandmother were friends. You know, my dad and Bill Belichick, you know, hung around, uh, you know, the Naval Academy together and uh, my dad's mother was actually Steve Belichick's Jeanette's uh, husband secretary at the Naval Academy way back in the day. So we, our hearts go out to the Belichick family for Jeanette's passing, but uh, you know, living to the ripe old age of ninety-eight, good on her. So for Chris Cervello, Bill Wagner from his remote location. Ward Carroll and myself, John Schofield, we really appreciate you joining us. Uh, let's go Navy, beat two lane. Let's get some 1917 win action, and we will see you on the side of Flip. We're out.
3: The thoughts and opinions expressed on this pod are our own and don't represent the side of, of the Naval Academy Athletic Association, the United States Naval Academy, or any organization for that matter. Play-by-play calls from the Navy Radio Network are used in the opening of the show, and from time to time, will be part of podcast segments.